Well, good morning, FCC Church. Good morning. I know. Should we do that again? Good morning, FCC Church. Good morning. There we are. Good. Welcome to another beautiful Sunday morning here at FCC. Could you please stand up and worship along with us? Sing along with us on this glorious day. Your glorious day 
Psalm 46.1 reminds us that God is our refuge and strength, a helper who is always found in times of trouble. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. <laughs> Sorry about that. I was like, where'd that come from? <laughs> oh my. Let's pray together. Father, we're so thankful for the joy that we have this morning in you. And Lord, we're thankful for the freedoms that we have. First of all, we're thankful for the freedoms that we enjoy in this country because brave men and women were willing to put their lives on the line for that freedom and many who died for that freedom. Lord, but we also thank you for our ultimate freedom that we have from sin through your son Jesus who died on the cross and rose on the third day and because of his blood and because of your grace, we can live in freedom. Lord, we're here to celebrate that today. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning. It's good to see everybody this morning. We're glad that you've chosen to join us this morning as we lift up the Lord together. Please make sure you fill out your connection card for us. If you're following us online, we ask that you do the same thing so that we can continue to keep connected with you in, your, in our prayer life. So at this time, what I'm going to ask you to do is we're going to give you three minutes when I hit the timer. And praise band, I want you all up here a little earlier than that. But please go around and say hello to someone that you don't know because... We want people who come to our church to feel loved and welcome, but if we just let them stand there and nobody says hi now, if they're introverts, that may be a thing, but if you're an introvert, we're really sorry. We'll try to be very gentle. But go around and say hi to someone you don't know, and then you can check out everybody else. You got three minutes.
so that I can sing to you and not be silent. Lord, my God, I will praise you forever. Amen? Jesus. 
28 through 29. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful. By it, we may serve God acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire.
please be seated. Well, good morning again, everybody. We have a family affair of a special over here. Please welcome to the platform the Silvas and Scott Meinhardt. a soldier with no armor in the middle of the battle I was broken I was broken it was only getting darker in the valley of the shadow I was hopeless I was hopeless I never thought that I would ever see the day when every Whoa. You are the one I pray for. You 
They worked, they worked hard on that. A lot of practices. They did a great job. Thank you so much for sharing that. Great message to the song. We've been in our Dark Horses series the last couple weeks, and when you start thinking about dark horses, when you start thinking about teams and athletes that really exceeded expectations, one of the things that you find, there's a common thread that you find in those people that are able to do it. What they did is when opportunity came, when opportunity presented itself, they were ready. They were ready. When I pondered this thought, I thought of a couple NFL players. One of them's in the Hall of Fame. The other one will be uh, as soon as he's eligible. The two names that came to mind for me were Kurt Warner, who used to quarterback at, uh, here in, in, uh, in Phoenix and also in the Rams when, it, when they were really good, and Tom Brady, who I won't talk a lot about. But anyway, um, the expectations for these two men when they came to the NFL were nothing. I mean, Tom Brady was a low-round draft pick. He wasn't very athletic. He wasn't very fast. He wasn't very strong. You know, they saw something in him, but they didn't expect a lot. Uh, Kurt Warner, he had to go play in the Arena League. He was a grocery bag boy at one time. Every team passed on him. He was at Green Bay when they got, then St. Louis got him from there. But that takes me to 1999. The Rams had been horrible in St. Louis. And my brother and I went to see them play the Green Bay Packers on a Thursday night, only NFL game I've been to. It was quite an interesting experience, especially if you like to be around drunk people. But uh, as a Rams fan, I can understand why they would be, just, uh, just saying. But uh, the expectations in 1999 were high. I mean, people were talking Super Bowl because they'd signed this quarterback, Trent Green. And man, he was good. Well, in the preseason, playing a preseason game, Rodney Harrison from the San Diego Chargers hit him and just shredded his leg. I mean, his knee was shot. And you could just feel the air come out of the stadium. And I'm sitting here watching this going, oh, no. Here we go, another Rams year. At the end of the game, uh, Dick Vermeil gets on the TV, and he's got tears in his eyes because he's a very emotional coach. And he said, we're all going to rally behind Kurt Warner. Kurt Warner's going to be our quarterback. I'm like, huh? Now, when he said that, I kind of wonder, did he really believe that? <laughs> did the team really believe that? I don't know. But suffice to say, no one in the fan base, if you'd have read stuff, man, nobody believed anything was going to happen. Well, Kurt Warner turned in one of the best seasons in 1999, pretty much of any quarterback in history. He had a passer rating of 109. He passed for four, over 4,300 yards. He had 41 touchdowns. He had 13 interceptions during that season. Not only that, he was selected to play in his first Pro Bowl, by the way, the first season he ever really played in the NFL. He won his first MVP award, and he won the Super Bowl MVP and their first Super Bowl championship. I mean, talk about somebody who you expected nothing from, there's nothing he could have done that would have been better. Tom Brady was a little bit different. He was uh, with, the, with the Patriots, uh, Drew Bledsoe. I remember watching the game when he got drilled by, I forgot the player who hit him, but it, it severed a uh, artery, I think, in his chest. And so he was out. And here comes this skinny Tom Brady. And, of course, the rest was history with him. Today's dark horse is a lady that we see mentioned in Scripture in the New Testament. And we don't read a lot about her, but there's a little bit about her in Acts chapter 16. Um, and Acts chapter 16, so that we can kind of get, get, get an idea of what we're dealing with, I want to give a little bit of context because the book of Acts really talks about, it's an early account of the, of the early church and its expansion and how it was growing. The specific passages that we talk about are taking place during Paul's second missionary journey. Missionary journeys for Paul was when he went out and established churches. 
Now, historically, during the first century AD, the Roman emperor had control over that whole region and, and the place that we're going to be looking at today. The region was known as Macedonia, and it was a larger part of Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey. So if you can picture that, for some of you young folks, you need to look up Turkey. It's not what we're going to be eating today, but it's a country. But anyway, um, now, the Roman Empire, on certain, in certain instances, well, a lot of instances, they, they allowed a lot of religious freedom, but they also strongly influenced the area's culture and social, economic, and, pol pol and, and political arenas. Paul and his companions in Acts chapter 16, Paul, Silas, Timothy, and, and Luke, were, uh, they'd arrived in the city of Philippi, and we'll talk about that in a minute. It's called a leading city in Macedonia. And by the way, a lot of liberal scholars thought, well, look, Luke didn't get this right because Philippi was not the capital of this area. Nothing real significant, but we'll see why that, that uh, depiction is accurate here in a moment. But Philippi was a Roman colony which means it was settled by retired Roman soldiers, and it held special status with the empire. Hence, that's why it was called a special city or a leading city. The passage mentions Paul and his companions that when they got into town, they went to a place of prayer, and they met a group of women there. And one of the ladies there was named Lydia, and she is described as a worshiper of God, and we'll talk about that in a moment. Lydia's profession was she was a dealer in purple cloth. This indicated she was probably wealthy because purple cloth was considered a luxury item in that era, and it was associated with royalty and wealth status. And just so you understand why it was so expensive to turn cloth into purple, they had to get dye from, they had to get a, a, a chemical from uh, shellfish. And from each shellfish, you could get one drop. So imagine if you had a whole robe, how many little shellfish had to squeeze out a drop of that stuff. Well, today we're going to see, when we look at Lydia, how this dark horse made the most of what she had, made the most of her opportunities. So we're going to be in Acts chapter 16. We'll begin with verses 11 through 13. It says this. And I'm going to go back to verse 11 so it reads better. This is speaking of Paul, Timothy, Silas, and um, Luke. And Luke's writing Acts, by the way. We put out to sea from Troas and sailed straight course for Samothrace, the next day to ne Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city in the district of Macedonia, a Roman colony. We stayed in the city for some days. On the Sabbath day, we went outside of the city gate to the river, uh, outside of the, excuse me, we went outside the city gate to the side of the river where we thought there would be a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the women who had assembled there. So the first thing we need to see, if we're going to allow ourselves to be used by God, and even in life, if you're going to be successful in life, this, this, this parallels that, we have to realize that there's an opportunity given. Now, I mentioned in the introduction that Philippi was a Roman colony. The NET calls it a leading city. And like I said, many scholars said, well, that's not right. It's not a capital city. It's not super significant necessarily but it's a Roman colony. Now, when we think of colonies now, we think of the, the 13 colonies where, where basically Britain ran them and they taxed them and so on and so forth and we started war and hence we're free. But Philippi, because they are a, a colony, they were a Roman colony and they had special benefits. And the city was profoundly proud of their status as a Roman colony. Essentially, their status provided them with three benefits that no other cities had. Number one, they could self-govern. So Rome did not, did not mess with their governance. Secondly, they were exempt. And I wish somehow Sierra Vista could get the status in Arizona. 
they were free from paying tribute to the emperor. They didn't have to pay taxes. Like, man, that'd be nice. I have a lot of money in my bank then. And thirdly, they enjoyed the rights as those who lived in Italy enjoyed, including Roman dress, shared language, shared coinage, as well as shared holidays with Rome. So essentially, it's kind of like a, a one way to look at it would be like if we have an embassy from, I don't know, from Italy here, the embassy in, in Italy here in the United States, that embassy is considered Italian soil. And so if you're a Roman colony, no matter where you were located, it was considered that you were living in Rome, more or less. And so this city is where God had led, the apost- excuse me, led Paul and his companions, and they had a clear purpose going to Philippi. They understood that wherever they went, they were called to share the good news of Jesus Christ. They were given an opportunity, and they were providing other people with an opportunity to hear the gospel. God orchestrated their journey from Philipp- to Philippi where divine appointment awaited them. God had a plan for them. As they gathered, uh, when they got into the city, they decided to go to the riverbank where they thought they would, uh, they would find it being a place of prayer. And what they found there was a, group, a small group of women, and in this, in this group was Lydia. This encounter was an opportunity given by God to these people, all of them, to, to, to Timothy and, and Paul's party, and to the ladies who were there. So typically what would happen is when Paul would go into a city, he would find the synagogue, he would go into the synagogue, he would take an opportunity to teach, and then eventually he would start teaching them about Jesus, and he'd start a church out of that. Well, Philippi, it appears that there was no synagogue, which would, would not be unusual because it's not a Jewish colony, it's a Roman colony. So we wouldn't be surprised for that. Now, for a synagogue to happen in a city, there had to be 10 men, sorry ladies, 10 men in that city for a synagogue to open. And in communities where there were less than 10 Jewish men, usually what would happen is people who were faithful to God, whether they were Jews or what we would call proselytes of the gate, which are people that would take on Jewish customs, they would worship God, but they hadn't made the complete conversion to Judaism. Uh, A proselyte would be what they would call it once they did that. But anyway... What they would do is all the people in that community, and it's generally the ladies because there, wasn't, there weren't 10 men, they would go by a body of water that was suitable for the ceremonial cleansing that they would need to do and prayer. So when Paul gets into town, uh, and by the way, when they get to these places, it was very simple. Sometimes just a bunch of rocks in a circle by the water, that's where they would gather. So what Paul did is he knew that there wasn't a synagogue, so he thought, okay, I think this looks like a place they're praying and they're waiting for them. So on the Sabbath, Paul and and Timothy and Silas and and Luke, they're there waiting. Well, as the group sat down and they got there, I should say, they they saw a group of ladies there. Now, when they did, what they did is once they saw them, they started teaching. Now, this is, imagine you're this group of ladies, and there might have been a couple guys there, we don't know. And all of a sudden, here's Paul, Timothy, Luke, Silas, and you get to sit down and hear them teach. I mean, that'd be amazing. What a great opportunity. It gave these ladies a great opportunity to, to learn and to grow. Paul, God led Paul and his crew to Philippi for this reason. God leads you to places in your life for a reason. You are where you are for a reason. The problem is we don't usually look for that reason. We think, well, I'm just here for a job, or I'm just here to see family, or I'm just here for this, or I'm just here for that. But God has a purpose for you being where you are. Now, Think about the Apostle Paul for a moment. He could have gotten to that area, gone by the river, and saw that there was just a small group of women, thought, you know what? This isn't worth my time and effort. 
Because in that society now, in, in the Roman colonies, women had more rights than they did at other places in the area. But he could have said, these are just a bunch of ladies. This isn't going to go anywhere. I was going to say, make me a sandwich, but that, well, that's not probably what he's thinking. But, anyway, <laughs> but he, he could have looked at this and said, well, this isn't worth my time. God brought me here for something big. He must have me here to preach to thousands. But he didn't. See, sometimes if we're not careful, we get so fixated on looking for the big that we miss the real. That we're looking for the big that we miss the real opportunity. Not all opportunities and not all great things for God involve something that people consider big. But nonetheless, it's important. It'd be like this, you know, I served some churches when I was in student, when I was in, in college, and uh, one in particular, I'll never forget, my wife, she was pregnant at the time with Rachel, and she had to go to the bathroom, and they had an outhouse, and the outhouse had great big chunks out of it. So my wife, to protect her honor, I had to stand in front of it so nobody could see my wife. But, and then when I got in to preach, there were only like eight people there, I think, maybe 10. There were mice running in the drop ceiling. Not just a couple of them, probably hundreds of them. And I'm thinking, I've seen this movie before, and I'm just kind of trying to preach, and, and I'm thinking, you know, one of these, something's going to happen. I don't like mice that well. Little pet ones are cute. But I just pictured these mice, hundreds of them, just falling on me while I'm preaching. You know, Satan messing with me. But there were only 10 people there, and I could have pulled up to that church, and that was not uncommon with student ministers. We, we'd go to these places at 5, 10, 20 maybe. It would be real easy to think, why am I wasting my time here? I'm in Bible college. God wants me to preach to thousands. But yet, God had us where we, he had us for a reason. Those 10 people needed to hear something. The mice maybe needed to hear something too. Uh, but they, they needed that message. And Paul, God sent Paul to Philippi specifically to teach this small group of women about Jesus. Folks, we should never overlook opportunities. We should never look past what's before us to see what's, in fr what's even further ahead. You know, I've, I've known guys in ministry, they'll, they'll get into a church and their mentality is, well, when, I get, when I'm here this long, I'm going to go to the next church of the next size and the next church of the next size. And I always counsel young ministers, I said, whenever you go to a church, you have to tell yourself, I'm going to be there until the Lord calls me home. Now, most of the time, it doesn't work that way. But if you don't have that mentality, what you will do is you will never put your whole heart into the opportunity before you because you're looking ahead, thinking, well, I'm going to get bigger and better, bigger and better, bigger and better. And that's not the way we should treat things. Uh, and whatever you're doing to serve the Lord, it does, even if it seems like it's very small. I, I talk to the band about this occasionally. I miss Lori on keyboard. I'd be glad when she ever gets herself, gets healed where she can do it. But there's a few songs where Lori would just hit a couple notes. That's it. But it made the song. It was important. It was important. She didn't have to hit every note to make an impact on the song. And in your life, you don't have to do every single thing to make an impact. You need to do what God's called you to do and take advantage of that opportunity. Like I said, sometimes we get so caught up in the big, we miss what's important. We should never look, overlook excuse me, an opportunity that Jesus gives us. The ladies who were present, they could think, well, you know what, we're small in number. Why are we wasting our time? I can worship at home or I can watch another church on, online, you know. They could have done that. How many opportunities has God presented in your life? And have we had more than we can imagine because we're not aware of them? 
I know in my own life there's probably been a lot of opportunities I've missed because I'm either so busy or I'm focused on something else and I miss the opportunity at hand. And we've got to be more intentional about looking for opportunities. In your life, when you're not living intentionally, you're not going to really live life. You're going to get through it. You're going to survive. In your marriage, you should live your marriage with intention. My intention is to treat my wife the way Jesus told me to treat him, treat her. And if I do that, that's what I will do. If my in, i got to live intentionally. When we don't, we let our emotions carry away with us. We let our past destroy us. We have to live with intention. And Paul lived with intention. His intention was wherever he was going to go, Jesus was going to use him. I think when we look in here this morning, and probably, probably most everybody who's watching us on our broadcast, we're all kind of dark horses. We're all basically normal, everyday people. We're not exceedingly rich. World standards we are, but we're not exceedingly rich, probably not exceedingly talented per se. We're probably not connected. I can't make a phone call and stop the war in Israel, you know, for instance. Uh, can't, can't do that. But nonetheless, one way to make a difference in life and to make a difference in the lives of people is to make sure that you're ready to take advantage of the opportunity. You're looking for those opportunities. That's how we grow. That's how we do things. Just as God granted an opportunity to Paul and his companions and to those who were going to listen to him, he also presents you with an opportunity today. The question is, how will you respond to that opportunity? What will you do with it? Let's turn to verses 13 to 15. By the way, that, that thought applies to everything. I know, you know Rusty works at Ford now. That's a cool Mustang, by the way, uh, that they have out there. But it's like a salesman. If you're a salesperson, I've been on car lots where nobody will say a word to me. What are they missing? Opportunity. I've been in stores where nobody would help me. You know what they're missing? Opportunity. By the way, old guys like me usually can afford to buy stuff in the store, so you know, they should come pay attention to me. But this stuff applies in life, not just in your walk. Verses 13 to 15. On the Sabbath day, we went out Side the city gate to the side of the river where we thought there would be a place of prayer. And we sat down and we began to speak to the women who assembled there. A woman named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth from the city of Thyatira, a God-fearing woman, listened to us, and the Lord opened her heart to respond to what Paul was saying. After she and her household were baptized, she urged us, if you consider me to be a believer in the Lord, come stay in my house. And she persuaded us. So the second thing, it's one thing to have the opportunities. The next thing is we have to seize the opportunity. When those opportunities are there, we have to seize them. In this group of ladies, we find one called Lydia. Now, um, she was from the city of Thyatira, which was a Roman, it was, in, it, was, it, was in, um, it was part of the Roman Empire. She was, de she was a dealer in purple cloth, which made mean she was probably fairly well-to-do. And by the fact that she could invite four evangelist into her home. She had a home big enough to do that, which took a lot of wealth. Uh, by religion, she's called a worshiper of God. Now, this same phraseology is used of Cornelius, the Gentile, and, and this is usually talking about somebody who's connected in some way with Judaism, that they're what they would be called a proselyte of the gate. They were studying Judaism, maybe. They were taking in some of the customs and the beliefs, but they hadn't fully converted. Um, so that's where Lydia was. Lydia, when she was sitting there among this group of women, here's a great opportunity to sit under the teaching of somebody who wrote a good chunk of the New Testament. 
and those who planted churches. And what did she do? She listened as they taught. <laughs> These ladies could have sat there on their iPhones and played, you know, played whatever, Angry Birds or whatever they wanted to. They could have been watching TikTok videos. They could have been just, oh, I wish he'd be quiet so I'd go home and eat. You know, there's a lot of things they could have been doing, but they didn't. They paid attention. When she did, something changed. Now, in one of my commentaries about this passage, it says this. I think this comes out of the College Press commentary. I said it was Reese commentary. It's College Press. A person's heart is said to be closed against the instruction when it's unwilling to hear or obey it. Notice, your heart's considered closed if you're not unwilling to hear it or obey it. Jesus opened the minds of the disciples to understand Scripture. We find this in Luke 40, 24, 45. God had led Paul and his company to Lydia. And there they had preached the gospel by the power of the Holy Spirit to her and caused her to understand. Hence, in this way, the Lord opened her heart. She listened to the things that Paul said and the others said. Now, the word listened here means what it gives us a picture of your mind holding on to something. Have you ever had thoughts that just pass through and other ones that just stay there? And you focus and focus and focus and focus. I'm kind of that way. I've got a one-track mind a lot of times. I get something in my head. I can't get it out. Well, that's what this means. It says when she listened, it wasn't like, okay, bip, 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 it's gone. Everything that she, the way we would put it today, she was captivated. She was hanging on his every word. She was listening to what these guys were saying. And when she was listening, it was rattling in her head. She was thinking about it. She was pondering it. She was contemplating what it meant. And so as she's doing this, the scripture tells us that God opened her heart to the message that Paul preached. Lydia seized the opportunity to listen attentively, allowing the Holy Spirit to do his job in her life. How many times have we had an opportunity to do something for God? Or how many times have we had an opportunity to receive a message from God's word only to let that message fall on deaf ears? Maybe the message was too close to home. Maybe it hit a subject matter that upset us. It cracks me up sometimes when I preach and somebody said, you must be watching my house because you knew exactly what was going on. I'm like, no, I said, I don't, so you know, I don't preach at people. I preach and the word falls where it falls. Sometimes it doesn't fall anywhere if I don't do a good job. But anyway, but what ends up happening a lot of times is when, if I start talking about something that you're uncomfortable with, you'll either get mad at me or you tune it out. And that's an opportunity for you to hear from God's word. And we should seize that opportunity and many times we tune it out because we're not brave enough. We're not brave enough to let that message penetrate our hearts. Folks, I know many, many people who claim to walk with Jesus, okay? But they can't even treat their spouse with love and respect. How can you claim to walk with Jesus? How can I claim to follow Jesus if I mistreat this woman? Because God's looking at me like, what you're not going to do, Jeff, is you're not going to mistreat her. But yet we do that. Or as a Christian, if I'm a Christian business person, I follow Jesus, but I'm being unethical. I'm trying to sell things to people. I'm lying. How does that work? How does that work? Or I'm dishonest, or I work for a company and I give the bare minimum and I steal every chance I get to steal. And I'm a Christian? See, <laughs> excuse after excuse is offered. But when the message comes and says, you know, you need to really think about what you're doing, we're like, I don't want to do that. I'm not going to get on track. As Christians, you can call yourself whatever you want. I can tell you right now, I'm six foot three, 240 pounds, and built like Adonis. And you can look at me, no, you're really not. 
And that's exactly what people do when you call yourself by the name of Jesus and you're dishonest, you're dis, disrespectful, and you can't even treat your spouse properly. People look at you and say, no, you're not. So let's let the word penetrate our hearts. You know, if you're struggling with any of those things, you know what's going to change it? God's word, Christ, the Holy Spirit working through it. But when you harden your heart and say, well, whatever you say is an excuse not to listen, you're never going to grow. You're never going to change. And it's going to be the same thing. And you might be one of those people where you say, hey, Jesus, hey, depart from me. I never knew you. This is important. We've got to seize the opportunity. Lydia was a person who had a heart for God, but she didn't, at that point, didn't quite understand what that meant when she heard what it meant. Through Paul and his companions, it changed her. It changed her. If we're going to be a person who makes a difference, we have to seize the opportunities that God gives us. We have to be ready with open hearts and open minds. Man, I tell you what, some people have had to say some things in my life that were hard to hear. But you ultimately, is your heart open? See, Lydia's response to the message was interesting. It wasn't. She didn't go up to Paul and Silas and Timothy and look and say, man, great message, guys. That was really inspiring. And then go home and never be different. The message impacted her to the point where her and her whole household was baptized into Christ. That's impressive. And I hope this morning, if the word's falling on you, that you don't just say, hey, good job, Jeff, or whatever. But you take that message, and if you need to get, accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, that this is the beginning point for you. Or if there's something big in your life that you need to change, or if there's relationships you need to heal, that you use this opportunity to say, this is where it's going to begin. Because God can change my heart and my life. See, Lydia was able to do this for a few reasons. Number one, she was able to seize the opportunity because she was a seeker of truth. She, today in our society, we don't care about truth. We don't want to hear truth. As a matter of fact, if you're a purveyor of truth, you're going to get criticized. There are two genders, folks. Two. But, oh, that, no, you know, there's 600 or whatever. I don't know, some stupid amount number. And if you don't believe that, boy, people write you off. One plus one equals two also, doesn't it? But society now is going to, oh, it's, it equals five. I wish one plus one equaled 100 or 1,000 because my bank account would be a lot bigger. But it doesn't work that way. We have to be seekers of truth, not to have our ears tickled. Lydia was looking for something, and Paul's message brought it to her. Because Lydia was seeking truth, she also secondly had an attentive heart. Remember, in verse 14, it says, because she listened, God opened her heart. She wasn't playing on her phone. She wasn't distracted by, the, by anything else. She was focused on the message. Her heart was ready. Maybe you haven't responded because you haven't listened. You know, these two things allowed her to do the next thing. Her attentive heart allowed her to do a profound response. She and her whole household were baptized into Christ. And by the way, Lydia is the first recorded conversion in Europe from Paul's ministry. There may have been more, but this is the first recorded one. Lydia didn't hesitate or delay. When the opportunity presented itself, the water was right there. Her and her family are baptized into Christ. Her faith wasn't just a private matter. It was a visible testimony to those around her. You may be listening today. How are you going to respond to the opportunity? Will you give your life to Christ today if that's where you need to do? See, Lydia serves as an inspiring example to us to follow. When God presents opportunities, how do we respond? Do we seize them in faith 
with a willingness to act or do we get upset and just walk away? Let's finish with verse 40. And I'll give you the context of this, but speaking of Paul and Silas, when they came out of the prison, they entered Lydia's house and when they saw the brothers, they encouraged them and then departed. So the next thing we see with that opportunity is it got maximized. You know, often I wonder what would have happened to the Rams and to Kurt Warner's career had that time when Trent Green went down, if Kurt went in and just stunk up the joint and told Coach Vermeil, I'm just, you know, I've been a third stringer. I'm not really ready for this. Can I have another chance? The answer would probably be no. Or if Tom Brady just went in and flopped, he may have never gotten off that bench behind because Drew Bledsoe is a good quarterback. See, when you get that opportunity, those two gentlemen got the opportunity. They seized it. They took the bull by the horns. Lou Gehrig, for those who know baseball history, look, at, look, look up Wally Pipp. <laughs> Wally Pipp was a very good ball player. He missed a game. He never got back in the lineup. <laughs> the quick context catch-up from verses 16 to 36. While Paul was in Philippi, he was teaching, and each day he was walking by this girl who was yelling at him, you know, hey, this is a, a messenger of God, whatever. She was yelling stuff that was true. And this young lady, she was a slave girl who had, the, had a spirit of divination. She was able to um, tell futures, basically. And so one day, Paul just got sick of hearing it, and he just cast that spirit out of her. The owners got kind of mad. You know why? Because she was their meal ticket. They made money off her. And all of a sudden, she couldn't do it anymore. So they riled up the city officials, and the city officials, they accused him of a bunch of stuff. The city officials took Paul, they beat him in public, and they imprisoned him. Well, when they were in prison, Paul and Silas, instead of complaining, which, to be honest with you, I'd be griping and complaining the whole time, probably. But Paul and Silas, they were singing hymns. They were singing hymns to God. And suddenly, a great earthquake shook the prison, all the doors were open, and all the chains were loosened. Now, if you've heard of the Philippian jailer, this is where he comes in. The guy was a jailer. And by the way, if you were a jailer and you had an escaped prisoner, guess what happened to you? Think of the worst thing possible and multiply it by two because that was going to happen to you. You didn't just get killed, you got tortured. So when he saw what was happening, he was getting ready to take his own life because that would have been much better than what was going to happen to him. And Paul said, hey, wait, you know, stop, we're all here. <laughs> Moved by the compassionate act, the jailer asked Paul and Silas, what must I do to be saved? They responded, believe in the Lord Jesus, you'll be saved, you and your whole household. So Paul expanded on that and taught them, and guess what? The Philippian jailer and his whole household were baptized into Christ. And then Paul and Silas continued to preach the word. Now near the end of that, in verses 35 through 39, the city officials realized they made a big mistake. See, one of the good things about being a Roman citizen is you couldn't be falsely imprisoned and you could not be beaten. Not, not you. Well, they did both to Paul. And so when the city officials realized this, they sent some people to the prison. Hey, tell those guys just to kind of sneak out of here. We don't want people to know what happened. But Paul, because it was illegal treatment, and they could have gotten in trouble. But Paul said, nope, go back and get your bosses and tell them they're going to let me out and they're going to apologize publicly. They're going to publicly acknowledge what they did. And long story short, Paul's out of prison. Where does he go? Lydia's house. Lydia has not only accepted Jesus and baptized into Christ, but she was then using her house from all it looks like is the house church. Matter of fact, the book of Philippians was probably written to her church coming out of her house. So what she did is she maximized her gifts, her abilities, her finances, and used them in God's kingdom. She maximized the opportunity. 
And so when Paul got out of prison, they met the people in the house church, they encouraged him, and then Paul and Silas went on their way. Lydia was a prominent person in Philippi who became a believer and who maximized everything she had for God. So another thing, you know, you look back at Warner and, and, and Brady. Uh, Warner, by the way, was a terrific athlete. He could play all the sports. Brady, not so much, but man, those guys got every ounce of everything they had of ability and they used it to have Hall of Fame careers. You have talent. You have gifts. We all have them on different levels, but we have them. Maximize them. Maximize them for God. The story of Lydia teaches us the importance of seizing the opportunity when God presents it. We need to seize that opportunity in faith. She sought the truth, she had an attentive heart, and she courageously embraced the gospel message. Her example encourages us to seek God's truth and respond in faith when he opens those doors before us, which he does every day. You know, many of you are going to get up tomorrow, except for those of you who are retired, maybe. Oh, it's Monday, I'm going to go back to work. Right? Yeah, I'm off on Monday, but I still do work. But what we should be doing is waking up, hallelujah, it's Monday. First of all, it's Monday, I get to see another Monday. That's a good thing, because at my age, I'm starting to realize I'm going to have fewer of those. But you should be thankful for that. But then the second thing you should be excited about is what is God going to do today? How's God going to use me today? What is God going to do with me today? No matter how big it is or how big it is, small it is, we should be excited each day because God's going to present opportunities for us. Instead of, oh, it's Monday. I wish Friday get here. What about Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday? What are those opportunities we miss because we th- can't wait till it's Friday? Each day should be a joyful thing for us. Now, I say that some of us have a little hard time waking up in the morning. I'm one of those guys. But once you get your wits about you, we should be excited about the day and what God's going to bring. We should be ready, willing and ready to seize the opportunity that God gives us. I pray that we'll all be attentive and that we'll all have the courage to follow his leading and to respond in faith, just as Lydia did. This morning, our praise team is going to come up and lead us in a song of decision. If you've not accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, we're going to give you that opportunity to do so today. We have a great God who loves you. You've got a great God who loves you, and he's done so much for you. And he wants you to have eternal life with him. This morning, you've heard, you've heard the word of God. Don't miss the opportunity. What are you waiting for? If you've, if you've already accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior and not a member of the First Christian Church family, we encourage you to come forward this morning so that we can, uh, so you can, extend the, we can extend the right hand of Christian fellowship to you and you can become a, a member of the First Christian Church family. If you're struggling and need prayer, if you come forward, I'd be glad to pray with you also. But this time, let's all stand together as we sing our song of decision. Right here. <laughs> 
All the world. Acapella. <laughs> Third time's the charm. All right. Grace. Grace. All the world is watching. Everywhere I go, I 
are always right here. You know, yesterday was Veterans Day, and one of the great things about that is we, we have a few holidays that when you really peel all the layers away, it's a celebration of freedom. We enjoy the freedoms in our country because in the beginning, people were willing to sacrifice their lives, their fortunes, everything for, the, for an idea, for an idea that they did not know how it was going to work, how it was going to end up. But nonetheless, they put their lives and their reputations and their comforts on the line for that. And then since then, every time our freedoms have been challenged, men and women have stood in the front lines willing to shed their blood for the idea of freedom. Well, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ has done the same thing. God wants us to be free. Adam and Eve, when they were in the garden, they were free until sin crept in. And in your life, if you want to experience real freedom, it's going to come through Jesus Christ. Until that, you're go, you think, well, you, the real deception here is people think they're free outside of Christ. They're not. They're not. It's like a person with a lot of possessions. Look at everything I own. Really, if you look back at it, it's more like, look at everything that owns me. Because it owns you. And so if you want to experience true freedom in life, it comes through Jesus. He frees you from the sin, from that bondage. And as we celebrate our communion this morning, that cup reminds us of his blood that was shed, that had to be shed from that perfect sacrifice so that God, his justice could be satisfied and our sins be forgiven. That body, the bread represents his body that took the punishment that we deserve because we sinned against God. And God says, you know, instead of punishing all you guys, we're going to do it through Jesus. And so when we take the cup and the loaf today, it represents true freedom. It represents true freedom. Let's pray together. Father, we're thankful for the opportunity we have to come around this table to celebrate this time of communion. We thank you for the freedom that we have through Jesus. And I pray, Father, that as we take the cup and loaf, that we do so with a deep appreciation this morning, that we appreciate what you've done for us through your son, Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.
okay. Good job, Sean. <laughs> On the inside of your bulletin, we have announcements today. 4 p.m., we have our Thanksgiving dinner. If you have not signed up for that yet, please come because you won't leave here hungry. There's always plenty of food here. Um, we do not have any youth activities tonight because of that. Rogers Group's not meeting tonight. We have our leadership meeting Tuesday, and the LOL Group's going to meet at Jules's house. Also, the SPAM, I mean, Spa Nature Walk, takes place on the 19th. At, they're going to meet here before 2 o'clock and carpool to that. So that's going to be next Sunday at 2. Our annual business meeting is coming up. Next Sunday, we should have, nominate, or we should have the forums out uh, for people who've been nominated for elder and deacon. Peach's Pantry is looking for some things. And uh, we have all of our Bible studies this week. Um, also want to share with you, we had a packing party for Operation Christmas Child, and we had a lot, a good turnout. The church so far has packed over a thousand boxes between what everybody's brought and I think what was packed there, so that's really good. And uh, we had a great turnout. You know, Steve and Sandy, who come to the first service, organize all this stuff, and they are such a blessing because they have really accelerated and multiplied the ministry that we've had through the Operation Christmas Child with everybody helping. At this time, uh, before we conclude with some things, I want to show you a quick video uh, that I'd like you to, to take, uh, pay mind to. Every day that we get up and go to the office, go to the store, go to the school, go to church, and come home to our homes, it's only because someone has left their home to make it possible. Someone has given their lives, their love, their youth for you. They show loyalty, stamina, commitment, bravery, love. We honor those who have served, those who have sacrificed, those we have lost. Let us honor them today. Let us honor them every day. Greater love hath no man than this, that he be willing to lay down his life for another. And so we're thankful for everyone who served. If you've served our nation's military, could you, would you humbly please take a stand? I know some of you don't like to, but would you stand up for us, please? You served. Mm. Nothing's free. You know, our society thinks everything's free just because the government can print money. But nothing's free, and the freedoms that we enjoy are because of brave men and women just like this who are willing to put their lives on the line so that we can enjoy our freedoms. So my encouragement to you is to thank them, and we're thankful for that. On the back of your bulletin, we have uh, prayers. You'll see them. We ask to take note of those. Santa on the West End would like to thank everybody for their wonderful gifts um, to their ministry. They were able to fill 230 stockings to pass out for children in need, so that was really good. We have a lot of other things we're praying for. We've been praying for Operation Christmas Child. We've been praying for all the missions that we support for Weston Stocking. We have troops that we're praying for, and some of them that are actually in the, uh, a couple, or one of them at least I know of is in the uh, Mediterranean, in the area of uh, Israel. So keep them in your prayers. Lift our shut-ins up, and we want to pray for everyone who's struggling with their health. So take that part of your bulletin home this week and be praying for people. At this time, let's stand. I'll have a closing prayer, and then we'll be dismissed. Father, we're thankful for the freedoms that we enjoy. And Father, I pray that as we live life this week, we live that life to the fullest, that we take full advantage of every opportunity that we have. And Father, that we just share the gospel of Jesus to everyone around us. It's in his, your son's name that we pray. Amen. Thank you.